Welcome to Hope in the Margins, a podcast of Hope Community Church that is seeking to help you connect the hope of Jesus with your everyday life in the margins. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm sitting in the office of Jeremy Peeler, one of our lead pastors, and we're going to talk about the sermon from yesterday that he preached at our Upper Cleveland camp. Yeah, Upper Cleveland campus. <laughs> about stuttered there. Um, and we're just going to talk for a few minutes and um, yeah. Um, yesterday, Jeremy preached out of Luke 8, verses 26 through ter- uh, 39, and um, it was about the uh, demoniac or the demon-possessed man who um, Jesus um, approached, and or I guess the demon-possessed man approached Jesus first, but then Jesus uh, cast the demons out and uh, does what only Jesus can do. But uh, let's talk about the service and the, and the sermon and all that. Jeremy, what, what's your thoughts? Well, um, it's kind of odd when you look at this text, um, whether you want to call it the, the, the story of the demoniac or not, or the former demoniac, it's, it's whichever way you want to look at it. Um, most Bibles have headings, and it'll say the story of the demoniac, you know. But um, um, in our series of I Was But Now, I couldn't think of a better example of mm. someone who was completely in the grip of it's interesting that. Gospel of Mark says that he was in the grip of a demon, um, and Jesus comes to bind the strong man. So Jesus is stronger than what's in what this man's in the grip of. And so mm. Jesus, when he comes to his shore, you know he's no longer in that grip. He's going to release him from that. So um, I, I wanted to take the approach of of two things. I wanted to do a good Bible study technique. I want to believe people with, Hey, this is a good way to study my Bible through a narrative form. And I wanted to model that at the beginning. So that's why I did, um, the interview with Luke. Um, I believe uh, deeply that when Luke says that he wanted to carefully investigate everything that had been handed down to him, that it's most likely that Luke had copies of Mark and or a copy of Mark, and that he had most likely read Matthew as well by the time he begins to sit down to investigate and write his gospel. But um, you know, Luke was heavily involved in the, in the ministry of, in Acts. He's, he's there. Mm-hmm. And so when he goes to write this down for whoever Theophilus is, the lover of God, Theophilus, um, uh, I believe that he goes back into Judea and goes back in those areas, and he sits down and interviews people. And so I thought it was good to carry people through that part of the narrative of Luke sitting down. He he finally finds this demoniac, or a former demoniac, um, that was an incredible witness for Jesus. There's no doubt that when you read the scriptures that this guy um, goes back to the ten cities where he lives. uh, The Decapolis, Decapolis, ten cities. That he goes back there and he tells everybody he can about what's happened to him. You know, I was this, but now, and back in that area, there's no doubt about it. Everybody knows who this guy was. and He was a kind of a guy who was a terror to the area. So, yeah, I wanted to um, um, draw people into that narrative through that opening narrative of Luke sitting down and interviewing this guy who's full of these scars. You know, you do uh, that first part. This guy's got scars all over his body, um, even on his face and head and um, a neck area that Luke knows it's him. Yeah, because of the scars, and we, we you know we get from all the accounts of the demoniac that this guy cut himself um, day and night 
um, you know, uh, whether that's trying to release the, you know, the pain of the demons in him. And we get, you know, modern day cutting, uh, people cutting themselves to release those inner pains and stuff like that. But that's what that opening there was for, again, was to get people into that story. And then I use that as a way to say, okay, guys, um, we can study our Bibles by really digging into story mm-hmm. and looking at characters. And so this story is full of great characters. Um, so we started with the disciples and we went to Jesus. We go to the demons. And it's really weird if you, when you read this text, it's, it's tough to figure out when the demon got, when the demon's talking and when this man's talking, when is the differentiation between the two? Yeah. When does it take place? And you'll read, if you read 20 commentaries, 10's going to say this and 10's going to say that. Because um, when you look at the personal pronouns, it is a constant switch between Jesus, what do you have to do with me? And then they spoke to Jesus. So what's going on here? And so I made the decision long ago in my study college, but just years and years ago, that at the beginning of this, it's not the man who's completely in control of himself and in this body and of his yeah. voice. He, the, the demon's doing the talking mm. from the beginning. And so we have the demon, then we have the man, then we have the herdsman, which I left out of the story yesterday in the sermon, and we have the townspeople who come in, which I left out as well because just for time and for, for, for really for the content of, of right. what we were getting at yesterday. So there you go. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, you'd, you you maybe have said this yesterday or maybe you just referred to it kind of now, but um, I was trying to look back and in chapter eight, at the end of it, Jesus um, leaves that country, right? Yeah, the townspeople come back and they, they ask him to leave. They, they, they um, you know, and, and you can see um, kind of why their, their livelihood was destroyed when the pigs were destroyed. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's an indicator that you're on the on the Gentile side of the lake. Okay. You're on the unclean side. <coughs> is there's unclean pigs? They're unclean <coughs> that they're hurting and they're selling. So, if they're selling unclean animals, they're I mean, there's, there's no <coughs> Jewish people. They're going to be buying barbecue. Yeah. You know, or bacon. So, it's on the Gentile side of the lake. But when Jesus, you know, um, allows the demons, it's the demons' fault. They're the ones who asked yeah. to go into pigs. Jesus just gives them permission to. Um, but the townspeople certainly blame Jesus for the destruction of their livelihood, which is something we didn't talk about yesterday in the sermon, yeah. but we certainly do the same thing, you know. Um, yeah, Jesus, uh, it would be great if he came to help us financially. It would be great that he came to give us prosperity. Um, not, not to use that term in necessarily a prosperity right. gospel stuff, but if Jesus came to benefit us some way, then yeah, we would love to have him around. But it looks like he's not here to benefit us. He's here to harm our livelihood so we would rather him just going home yeah and, and get away from us we don't want part we don't want too much part of him well in the very next part it says now when jesus returned now i'm not sure if they're saying he's re- if luke's saying he's returning to you know where he was formerly or if he's returning to the country but but i know that it says there's a crowd that welcomed him and in the next chapter that's where he feeds five thousand so words get now yeah yeah jesus um once they ask him to leave jesus i mean he listens to him he's the gentleman you know yeah. if you don't want jesus in your life he's not going to be a part of your life if you invite him in he wants to be invited in so uh you know the way god works mm. so he goes back but later we read in um, mark's gospel that jesus does return to the decapolis he comes back across the lake and when he comes back this time there's a different um, um greeting yeah 
Um, they open with open arms. They bring deaf people to him and say, hey, you know, we want you here now. Help heal us. And there's 4,000 people that have gathered. So that's what I used yesterday in the sermon. Yeah. Uh, hopefully to motivate us to be people who are we were, but now we go back into the places where we are and we're sent to tell them, look, this is what Jesus did for me. He told me to do this, right? He tells us to do this. He tells us to go um, and, and, and to make disciples. Well, this guy is the prototypical disciple. He goes back and does what Jesus asked him to do. He returns, um, you know, with 4,000 waiting for, for Jesus to be able to minister to. So it's, it's a good, cool scene. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just skimming through. I hate that we didn't get to mention the herdsmen and the, yeah. and, and the um, townspeople because I get to mention it's the first case of swine flu. <laughs> yeah. you, 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 know, you get to do all the dad jokes that my son I was telling him before and was like don't 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 include those so, yeah. <laughs> well and because like you said they, these were uh, herdsmen of the pigs um, it says when the herdsmen saw what had happened they fled and told it in the city and in the country and, you know I I wonder their their um, attitude like they're kind of mad that their pigs are gone right but so so maybe they didn't tell the full truth maybe they kind of yeah, I mean, you, I don't know. yeah, you have to make a decision when it says, and they told it. What's the it that yeah. they told? Okay, did they tell, hey, there's this guy that showed up and all of our pigs are dead to save their own skin? They're the herdsmen. They're the ones who have been given the job of task of taking care of these things, and now they didn't. Or did they go back and say, guys, you got to come see the crazy guy, the, the demon-possessed guy that we've been chaining up is now tame and... And in his right mind, you know, you kind of think the former is what they did. Yeah. They went back and said, this is what's happened. Y'all come and see. Because it says the townspeople, when they come back, the first thing they see is the man at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And for me, again, that's when I pick up. I think the man's, you can listen to what the man says and believe it now. Yeah. Because there's no demons in him. Yeah. So now we have a man that we can deal with as a character. Um, but yeah, you don't know. You don't know when it says they went back and told it. So I mean, y'all think of how we relate that. To, yeah. You know, what do people do when they leave here, or what do they do when yeah. they experience? You know, they have a decision to make on what it is that they're going to report. So. Yeah. I think it's cool. I'm just I wasn't there, but as I read this passage and as I look at it, you know, the words are read that Jesus said in my copy. And there's only two things that he said in the yeah. entire passage. All he said was, what is your name? And go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. Yeah. And I just love how simple that is. And and that next second half of 39, after he says, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. Just like you said. like that's what, And that's what we desire for our life in the margins every day. Is that we would then go into our everyday life and proclaim what yeah. God has done. The church would not just be a Sunday. It seems like there's implications. He could have said something else, right. but literally in the writing, it's like you said, only two things Jesus. are read. So it's kind of funny to think like, what if Jesus didn't, didn't actually verbalize anything and the demons just like, <laughs> like, okay, we're, we're getting out of here. You know? Yeah, and you know, that's what we talked about yesterday in the sermon, which yeah. is, which I think is a, a, a wonderful Bible study technique is to look at characters and say, you know, what do they see? What do they say? What's the significance mm -hmm. of that? 
and what's the steps or the actions that we should take because of that. So what they see, what they say, what's the significance, and what's the steps. And even in the sermon yesterday, that's what I, I said. When we look at what Jesus said, it's very little. And I think that's profound. I think that you can, there's a lot that can be said about what's not said. You know, the disciples say nothing. They're completely silent, which I think we learn a lot from. You know, when, when uh, I think as disciples or sometimes we just need to, sh- you know, we just need to shut up um, and, and watch him work. Let him be in front and do the stuff and we just need to be quiet. But, um, yeah, I love the fact that Jesus he says very little. But what's key in this is that it's obeyed. It's obeyed. Unclean spirits, It's when he arrives, it's not in red, but it says that he was casting it out. So when he's arrived, he's already telling this demon that's coming toward him, get out of him. Okay, and they listen. He tells the the Gentile man to go and tell, and he does. Okay, he asks, "What's the name?" The demon answers. You know, so we can learn a lot from that. Do what he says. You know, listen yeah. to what he says. He's the authority um, um, over us and over 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 the demons, over anything. The disciples just learned that he was the authority over wind and waves. Previous, I mean, just you know, an hours earlier, at best, hours earlier, they saw him stand up and tell wind and waves to be still, and then they get off on this side of the lake and they watch him tell a demon to go. Another thing that's interesting about this too is that when you look on the other side of the lake, on the Jewish side of the lake, if Jesus heals someone, he doesn't tell him to go and blab and tell. He goes, Shh. he gives them what's called the messianic secret, right? Don't tell anyone. He's afraid on that side of the lake, they're all going to think he's the Messiah and he's this rebel. He's perhaps a zealot and he's going to rise up and we're going to have this rebellion. But on the other side of the lake, he doesn't do that. He tells this guy, You go tell all that's been done for you. So it's interesting. Yeah. But on one side, it's no, I don't do that. On the other side, it's go do that. Okay. One of the first things you said in the sermon, I wrote it down. uh, that, that Jesus or, or God just in general in our lives, he'll challenge our ethnocentrism, our view of, of who God is, and then our fears and insecurities. And, um, you know, you see that kind of throughout there with the ethnocentrism. Like Jewish people stayed on their side and, and so forth. Like we, we tend to do that. And God, but God challenges us to, to, to reach out, you know. And like, I mean, it's always go, you know. I read something, this was it this morning? Last night. It was this morning. Um the the great commission is to either go to sin or you disobey i mean that's the only three things that happen and so um jesus is always saying go so we can be part of that or we can be part of the sending or the only other option is to be disobedient and so um with this go beyond our our comfort sometimes like the word ethnocentrism we're using and yeah, you know, when, he, when he says to them um, in, the, in the Great Commission, all nations, uh, that pontate ethne, okay, all, all people groups, he's modeled this for them. And this is a key in that model. Because when he says we're going to the other side, that's a big deal to these boys. Again, I said yesterday, yeah. you know, they, they've been told, Mama, Mama said, don't go over there. Yeah. You know, that's the bad place. That's the unclean people. And so there is an ethnocentrism. That's built into to the Jews at that time that you know that that we're the only people who are close to God and those other people really will make us unclean. So let's don't Jesus says no. Watch this. We're going to the other side. And not only that is that that 
God loves them too. If I'm God, I'm showing that I love them and I'm going to them. So they've seen that model. They see it modeled throughout Jesus's life though. And they're three years with him. Um, um, it doesn't matter to Jesus. Um, that background, what matters to Jesus is repentance. And it's going to, it's going to matter. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is, is do they um, repent and love God? And the disciples certainly, they're challenged with that early on in the book of Acts. Of go to those people. And I think we are. I think we are. Smell like us, look like us, um, um, talk like us, listen to the same music that we yeah. do in services or not. Go, we're challenged with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree big time. I mean, you kind of mentioned music. We can transition to real quick. We are talking about how the, the service order just really played itself out. Like, the Holy Spirit did that work, you know, like, yeah, I'm in charge of, of sending those songs to the band. Like, hey, there's the ones we're going to do this week. But I mean, it had nothing to do with any sort of strategy other than, uh, hey, these these songs talk about the cross. And, uh, uh, you know, we start off singing the battle belongs um, when I fight, I fight on my knees, you know, and really surrendering every battle we're facing. Um, most of us aren't, aren't the demoniac, you know, but we can surely relate. You know, because Jesus can set us free too. And, uh, but then we walk through the the gospel songs of um, what a miracle it is to have an "I was but now" story, and the death has no hold on me. Like that's the demoniac story there. But then to wrap it up with the song the story I'll tell, which I think is real special for our our people in this season we're in, and um, it was really awesome to sing that. I know they sang it here in Shelby too. Um, yeah, such a such a cool song, but. You know, the chorus in that says, my God did not fail. And I think the first time I heard that was weird. Well, yeah. Okay. Why well, well, sing something so um, obvious? But I think we need to remind ourselves even like say it, say it a few different ways. Like God doesn't fail. But then reminding ourselves that, hey, even in those in those times, God didn't fail then. You know, that was that was good for us. You know, Um I've imagined the demoniac after this being mm. tempted with something, mm. you know, to him, it's gotta be the, the yeah. I know who's stronger than this. Yeah. Cause you know, the battle for him prior to Jesus coming was great in the battle for those around him, you know, um, those concern in his life. And I talked about, he came from a home and he had parents, he had family that was, that had watched this battle go on and him lose it. But when Jesus showed up on his shore, mm. this guy's stronger than anything. So he had to take that with him throughout his life. I learned from him in that. I hope is that man, Christ saved me when I was 12 years old from, from sin and from death. Mm. Let me or don't help me not to forget that yeah. today when he when, when there's some temptation that's coming my way, for me to say, wait a minute, he, he did that. He can do this too. So, you know, hmm. there are times when you look and say, get away from me in the name of Christ. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, so I just, man, for him, it's got to be a, a, a great learning experience. And the next time that that temptation comes to know that Jesus is stronger. Why would I, why would I even face this on my own? Why would I try to <laughs> shackle this or cut myself to get rid of this? Just call on the name of Christ. Hmm. And that's a good reminder for our listening family, whether you were at UC and heard the sermon there, um, or if you were in Shelby too, uh, you may be familiar with the uh, with that story, but how awesome it is to remember that 
that Christ has set us free and that um, there's nothing can that can hold us down from here on out. So um, we guys, we hope you guys have a good week and um, we will uh, see you soon.